Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. I'm Steve Wiss. I'm joined as ever by Jonathan for Dugba. Jonathan, how's it going? Hi Steve, hi everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing pretty well. It's the third round of, of all Svensk and we're getting into quite a nice rhythm. Uh, we've had a big week just gone, haven't we, Steve? And um, yeah, things are good. So how about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing all right. A bit stiff after my first cricket match of the season. But apart from that, I can't complain. Um, got to keep soldiering on. And uh, yeah, round three of our Svenskin has just uh, just happened. And uh, yeah, what, what sort of stuck out to you uh, from round three's results? Yeah, well, on today's show, we've got a very special episode for you. We're going for something a bit different. We did mention it on uh, on on Twitter at Nordic Football. If you don't follow us, so make sure you do. We are going for something a little bit different on this episode. We're going to get deep down and dirty. We're going to get very very tactical on this one. We're going to have a deep dive into some trends that we've noticed in our fans game, Steve. Because there have been a few interesting trends emerging even after three weeks. So before we do that, I'm going to just read out the scores for this week because we're not going to have our traditional podcast this week where we sort of talk about every team and. You know, talk about the latest um, controversies and dramas. We are going to put that all to one side for a very deep dive, as I say. So, um, I'll just run through the scores, and, and Steve, you may have one or two comments about some of these games as well. But uh, we'll keep it quite brief. So, on the Saturday, uh, Beckel Hacken lost again, third defeat of the season. They have now lost every single game, and they are bottom of the table, losing two-one at home to Sirius uh, on the Sunday. Varberg 1, Jurgarden 3, Norshopping 2, Hamstad 1, Norshopping getting uh, some points on the board, Kalmar 1, Orebro 0, so another good result for Kalmar, and Orebro down the bottom of the table just with one point now from three games, it's not been a great start for Orebro. Malmo 1, Ostersunds 1, a massive shock really in terms of uh, the bookmakers, I think Steve you had talked about on the bonus pod the odds for this game, uh, Ostersunds managed to defy the odds, getting a draw, at uh, Champions Malmo, even with uh, 10 men. And uh, AIK 2, Hammerby 0. AIK winning the big Stockholm derby. And then on Monday, Elsborg 1, Mialbi 0, which was one of our tips on the uh, bonus pod. Uh, Elsborg to beat Mialbi. And EF Quad 2, Dega 4 3, a bit of an upset there, which we will talk about later on in this show. But, uh, I mean, Steve, did you have any games that stood out to you there that, that, that just caught your eye, especially? Obviously, the IFK game, uh, which we're going to talk about in depth later. It, um, yeah, Malmo not winning was a was a huge surprise uh, to me, and I think quite a lot of other people, like you said, there were big odds there. Were uh, the draw would have been a big price, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a different episode this time. We're not going to be talking about the usual controversies and stuff, fantasy as well, a bit of a backseat. Although I am actually in the top ten in our league. I, I know now why you want to do this deep dive, Jonathan, because uh, to avoid my uh, gloating of my current position, <laughs> the one week where I'm actually high. But anyway, yeah. So um, do you know what we were talking, weren't we? Um, well, I was. I was. I mentioned to you. I think after round two, I was after you know, watching a few games. I was like, how many effing teams in this league use a three-four-three formation? It just every match I was watching, someone was using it. And it just stuck out to me because, yeah, you see a few of them around, don't you? But it honestly felt like every other team was using one. And I thought this is in my head, but we have done a little bit of research and uh, it's a bit more w- widespread than, than you think. 
It is indeed, and this is going to be the topic for this podcast. Well, well done there, by the way. Uh, sh- 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 crowbarring in your reference to the, to the fantasy football. You've had, a, you've had a pretty good week, to be fair. I'm quite, quite surprised you're so high. Um, you know, so, so well done to you there. And I've had a bit of a dip this week. Unfortunately, my big mistake was benching Abe Benro. But uh, no, the big trend we've noticed in Osvenskan is this rise, this tactical theory, the rise of the 3-4-3, the rise of the 3-5-2 formation. Now, of all the teams this, this, uh, this past week, nine of the 16 teams in the league played either a 3-5-2 or a 5-3-2, or a 3-4-3 variation. So that is obviously 56% of the league. Now, I don't know how that compares, obviously, to other leagues in Europe, but that is a, a pretty high percentage, considering you know the, the overwhelming, probably tactical shape in European football, in maybe even world football, it's 4-2-3-1 for many, many years, or a 4-3-3, uh, maybe a 4-4-2, but the, you know, those are the dominant formations, aren't they? But... This is the rise in Sweden of a, of a 3-4-3, which we've really found quite interesting. And, 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 and from a tactical point of view, we're going to do a deep dive into this this week. We're going to try and explain and, and, and maybe lift the lid on why so many teams are, are playing these formations. Um, so on this episode, what we're going to do is we are making it into a video, aren't we, Steve? And uh, you want to maybe just explain the, the, you know, where, found, um, where the listeners can, different ways they can view this episode and, and, and the concept behind it, how they can enjoy it. Yes, obviously this episode will, is on all our normal platforms, but I would recommend, if you can, to watch this on YouTube because there will be some sections where there's, there's some visual aspects which we certainly will do our best to explain, but really are best seen on the big screen, if possible. So, you know, it might be a case of you listening to uh, it and, and, and there's certain sections that you're like, what did he quite mean there? And you might want to sort of look back on the YouTube video section and then you might understand a bit more. It's, it's a little bit of a work in progress for us here. It's almost a little bit of an experiment for us that we can do this sort of um, YouTube video episode as well. But yeah, I would recommend, if, if, if you can, then, um, then then do watch it on, on the YouTube channel. And subscribe to the channel as well, if you haven't already. Yes, visually it will work probably a little bit better on, on the YouTube. If you can't listen to it, if you can't watch it, then uh, listen in and hopefully some of the concepts are familiar to you, you know, the 343, 352, that kind of thing, but we are going to try and explain it now, so uh, let's get into this show, Steve, like you said, it's a bit of an, ex- bit of an experiment, and do give us your feedback on Twitter at NordicFootPod, be keen to hear what you think, and I hope for people who don't really maybe understand tactical theory, maybe you've come across different formations in the past and you're not entirely sure, you know, which ones are better, maybe you play Football Manager and you've got different theories yourself and you might have different ideas. This could be the hopefully the show that you can you know get some ideas across and maybe uh, learn one or two things or, or get a few different perspectives. Uh, I'm going to kick off this Steve by just looking at, as we say, the different the different formations. So we've got 56% of the teams in Osvensk playing uh, the, one of these formations. So let's just go through the most recent round. We mentioned the scores this week and looking into it, I'm going to name you the teams. The nine Osvensk teams played in one of these formations this past week in Mialbi, Kalmar. EFK Jotoborg, Degafors, Nor Shopping, Varberg Boys, Halmstad, Sirius, and Ostersund. And uh, you know, that's a huge, that's, for me, that's a huge percentage, Steve. I don't know if you find that very, very interesting that there's so many different teams are playing in these, in these different formations, but it really did surprise me. And, you know, we, we're going to, in part three, talk about EFK Degafors because that's the key game, really. That was the clash of a 3 4 3 against the sort of 5 3 2, 3 5 2 of, uh, of EFK. 
So that's kind of like the, the key focal point of this discussion, this podcast, you know, looking at that game and giving a kind of a match analysis and a bit of a tactical breakdown. And then, you know, we will basically decide which formation we prefer out of the two. Uh, and in part two, we're going to talk about briefly, we're going to talk about a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2 against a 4-4-2 shape and, and, and the different, you know, weaknesses and strengths. But for now, Steve, you know, you've you've sort of identified this trend and we talked about it off air. Um, which teams have you got that you've seen play in this formation that, you, that have caught your eye so far? Who hasn't played it? But, um, I mean, fundamentally, the... They, they all have a, f- a few slight differences. The one thing they all have in common is these formations play with three centre-backs. No matter what, what way around it, there's always three centre-backs in this system. So that's where it originates from. But I certainly noticed that the newly promoted side, Degafort, came up with a 3-4-3. That really caught my eye. Uh, Varberg play a, a different sort of uh, variation of it as well. And obviously, Norshipping are the side that I fully expected to be in this sort of system because... Norling was known for sort of something similar at AE Core, wasn't he? So those are the three that sort of caught my eye straight away. But there's been a few surprising teams using it as well. So I'm actually going to start here, Jonathan, asking you about a team that, that used this system. It's, it's Ostersund. And um, they, they kind of tweak around a few ways around this. But 5-3-2 is probably the most well-known of the systems that contain three centre-backs worldwide, really. If you say 5-3-2, people know what you're talking about in general. But let's go briefly here. How does a 5-3-2 work? Yeah, good question. And I think, you know, we're going to start with Ostersons because they've been one of the surprise packages so far in this opening three rounds. Um, a point at Ostersons was a... Sorry, a point at Malmo was a huge, huge result. No one expected that. And obviously the week before, a 5-0 win against Oribro. This is a team that's been widely tipped to go down, Steve, and uh, their manager, Amir Azrafshan, has faced some criticism uh, in, in his early days in the job. Um, but what I've done here is I've, I've, sh- I've shared the screen, so hopefully you can see this right now. Um, and we're going to look at the way in which Osterson has been able to take a very weak squad, to be honest. They've got you know quite a lot of players who, um, you know, on paper, probably they've been predicted to go down. For example, people are thinking that they're not going to do too well this season. They've had real troubles that I'm reading this week that they've had to sort of borrow money um, to be able to pay the salaries. Uh, there's a lot of different talks about, you know, how they're going to survive this season, that kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, what they've been able to do with this really, really small squad, they've got Charlie Colcott is refusing to play, essentially, according to reports. He's um, now training with Coventry City. So they've got a really, really um, tight, weak squad, really, to be honest, um, very light in numbers. But what Asrashan has done is, is, is he's gone for this formation, Steve, and it is a 3-5-2. So this is probably the good entry point to get into it. Now, what is a 3-5-2? Well, essentially, uh, it's a formation where you have sort of three centre-backs. You've got two wide players as wing-backs. Um, in this case, uh, Patrick Capozo and Felix Horberg. You've got Fritzen, Siwan Cambo and Arhin in midfield. It's, it's, it's varied a little bit. Arhin didn't start the first games, but he's come into the team. He got sent off against... Uh, against Malmo at the weekend, but uh, he's come in. So you've got three in midfield, uh, five at the back, and then you've got two up front. Uh, Blair Turk has been the main man. And um, then you've got Juno Baptiste and Nebu Perry have kind of um, swapped uh, places at times, but Turk has really been the, the main man up front. And so this structure um, has been a really, really solid formation for them. And it's allowed them to have to take quite a small weak squad and actually turn it into something that is quite tactically uh, flexible, and quite solid 
and quite uh, quite good, isn't it, Steve? And uh, you've got some theories in terms of the strengths of a three-five-two. Yeah, I think first thing I've got to say there, and you might even demonstrate this to us while I'm talking, that it can become a back five if you want it to be quite easily. You can end up with five at the back. It can become five-three-two, which is that's a pretty tough back line to break down. You know, Capozo and, and Herberg there, they can go you know deeper. And, and go alongside the centre backs, and then in terms of the three midfielders, you can maybe one can be deeper. Well, I actually one of my favourite things about a five-three-two or three-five-two, the two strikers can be again they can be exactly how you want them. They can be they can play off themselves complementary. They can be quite advanced, or you can have one that sort of drops deeper, almost like a false nine. You know what I mean? Deep lying forward sort of thing. It's um, you know, in and out of possession as well. That's there's a lot of differences. You know, what would you say? Out of possession is the most important thing about this system. Yeah, well, you're bang on there. You've identified some some really good points. And um, you know, each formation we're going to talk about in this in this section before we move on to the match analysis later is basically going to just look at the differences between these different shapes and different formations that some of these teams are playing. Because you know, why is it such a growing trend? Why is Osvenskan suddenly going through this sort of three-four-three mania, um, or three-four, you know, three-five-two mania? What is this? Why is this trend becoming so popular? Now, you talked about sort of in possession as well, and some of the, the benefits, and and also what you can do defensively. Um, some of the key factors when you're out of possession, um, you know, Steve. Obviously, as you can see here on the screen, the centre backs can mark zonally. You know, they can cover the central areas and and also sort of half spaces. You know, they, so they can. They're not. There's not as much pressure on them. They do have the support of each other. You've got, as you said, there the wing backs can tuck in and create a five-man back line. So you know, defensively, that's a very strong sort of uh, back line to be able to defend. You've got C1 Campbell, who is quite defensive at times, and he's been really, really good this season so far. Uh, Arhin and Fritzen, they can drop deeper. Um, when the ball is played out wide, of course, you've got the centre mid uh, here who can defend, and then you've got to get against the wing back. So you've almost got an overload there. You know defensively and even if they get through they've still got the outside center back to get through so if you're coming at it from the wing wide areas you know if you're that compact it's very difficult to break that down um, you can go on the outside as well but again you've, you've got all the space if the full, full if the wide if the forwards drop back as well then you can create a very very compact formation um so you know that's some of the advantages that defensive solidity you've got the zonal coverage um, you can play very narrow, so you don't need to sort of have too much width if you if you want if you if you don't you know if you don't need to. And those are some of the keys of it, out of possession. I mean, you, Steve, have got some theories in terms of in possession. You know, what are the strengths of this formation in your opinion? I, what I like about this system is I think people. It's quite a disciplined compared to some other ones we're going to talk about. It's quite disciplined. You know where your width is coming from in this system, and it's going to be the wing backs. It's as simple as that. Um, okay, you know, maybe one of the strikers can kind of stretch the game out of the way, but in general, the three central midfielders tend to say stay re fairly central in, in this system. You, your width is coming from the from, from the wing backs. If you've got some very good wing backs in your side, then this is a system that is definitely for you. So that's one of my favourite things. I, if it was me managing the side, I'd be getting some wing backs, good crossing. I'd get them not bombing forward necessarily, but going forward. Getting crosses in, you've got two strikers on the field who can get on the end of it. You're probably going to get at least one midfield runner as well. Keep it quite simple. 
you know I, that's one of my favorite things about this this system in possession but um you know in terms of i mean we've talked about this craze about a lot of teams in sweden um using three four three three five three two three three five two why do you think it's happened is there some other examples of really, like really you know big clubs in europe using the system yeah, great question, Stephen. Before we move away from Ostersunds, I, I thought that you know it'd be good to wrap up this uh, five-three-two conversation by looking at some of the other top teams in Europe around it. And of course, not one of them who is just about to win the league in in, uh, in Serie A. Of course, is it Inter Milan? They're probably the most famous three-five-two team, aren't they? Really, when you look at it, uh, we just come back here and we just pull these again. I mean, you know, we're not going to pull up an Inter Milan graphic on this, but if you just look at the kind of formation, you can you can get an idea of it. Um, you've got Lukaku up front, Lautaro Martinez. You know, you've got the three-five-two of Inter Milan. Conte is very well known, isn't he? He won the Premier League in in, in England with a three-five-two at Chelsea. Really, you know, three-four-three. You could argue, but mainly it was a three-five-two. Very good in counter-attacking situations, and that's one of the key things with this formation is counter-attacking. You know, what you can do with this formation is out of possession. Of we've mentioned, your two forwards can press. They can press the space. They can drop deeper, and they can first, sort of start as your first defensive point. These are the defensive shields. If teams can break that line of the press, then you've got the three centre midfielders, very, very compact, hard to break down. Uh, you've got wide areas covered. But also what you've got, Steve, is in possession, and especially in transition. When the ball breaks down and you're going from defending situations to attack, you've got the ability to transition. With If you've got fast-paced, strong fullbacks, you can get them bombing up and down the pitch. Now, in the case of Ostersons, you know, Inter Milan are really probably one of the main blueprints, aren't they? Juventus played it back in the day when they had obviously um, Pogba, Pirlo, those kind of players. They they had that kind of formation. Um, now let's go back to Osvenska with, with Ostersunds. They're quite a very defensive formation. Capozo and Holberg are not really natural wing backs. They're not really that quick or kind of attackingly attack minded. They are a lot more defensive minded. And this is where Ostersunds have had a lot of um, joy because what they do is they break with the pace of Perry and Turgut. Now, they pretty much stay very compact defensively. Uh, the wing-backs do try and get up. But they tend to play passes into the forwards. Uh, you'll have seen the Orbro game in transition. They really flew forward, especially from midfield. Um, but it was really the pace of Turgut and Perry getting in behind that 4-4-2 formation and scoring goals. Um, and that's one example of it there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in possession, what it allows you to do is it allows you to create overloads defensively but it also allows you to spring traps and then it allows you to break out with huge pace going down the wings. And that brings us to um, a different formation, isn't it? Which is a little bit more of a an attacking formation. Yeah. And that is, um, well, who is it, Steve? Well, the 3-4-3. Three, three. So we've done the 3-5-2 the, the there. Tell us about, let's switch now to the 3-4-3 three, three variation. Um, of this again, three centre backs on the field, um, four a line of four midfielders, which you know they can be classed as sort of quite interchangeable, and then three guys in the final third. Certainly one striker followed by t uh, two other uh, players, so either out wide or inside. So yeah, three four three, Jonathan. We're just going to switch now to this uh, three four three screen. That you're going to share with us, uh, and there it comes up. This is an example of Degafor, I do believe. Um, so yeah, three, four, three. Take us through this system. 
Yeah, three, four, three, and we will talk on Dagger Falls a lot more detailed in part three. But I'm just going to use them as the example here. So three, four, three system is, of course, as you can see, it's slightly different to to the three, five, two, because you've got two in midfield rather than three. You've got wide forwards um, in a three-man shape, so you've got you know a little bit more width. Uh, you've got the base of three centre backs, um, but you've got wing backs who really do need to get up and down the pitch a lot more, a lot more regularly. Um, in terms of support, and they can also drop back quicker. Um, you've got two man midfield, so you, you really rely on these two to pivot and sort of play passes into the wide areas. And also you can create overloads with that. You've got the three there as, as overloads, because Edvardson, for example, for Degafors or Abraham, and we see against the F-Core, they did this to very good effect. They can drop deeper, and they can pressure the wide areas, and they can also come inside and pressure central spaces. This is something that Sirius do very well, isn't it, Steve? They, they, they create more of a four-man block there which we might come on to later. But um, you can be flexible with your wide forwards, but you do have a central striker as well. And, and obviously, you don't have two up front, but you, you, you've got two out wide who can maybe potentially get in, into the, in the box and create spaces. So some of the tactical theories of, of a 3-4-3, of, a, of, a three, three, of course. Um, you know, Let's look at it. What are the tactical theories that you can look at? Well, number one, it is a lot more... It is a lot, you know. It is a very strong base, isn't it, Steve? It creates a good grounding for players. You know, every every kind of area of the pitch, the zones, the half spaces, are covered. You can see down here the half space. You can see down here the half space. You've got a lot of ground covered. Uh, you've got a lot of passing options here. Every player's got decent passing options. Um, you know, you can play in triangles, which is something that, for example, Pep Guardiola does very well. He creates triangles for his team, as you can see here, passing triangles to get round other opponents. Um, you've got full defensive coverage in, in zonal spaces. Of course, if you want to shift to a 5-4-1, you can do that very easily. You know, these two can drop back. These two can drop back. And the next thing you know, you've got a 5-4-1. So it's got the ability to be a lot more, maybe even arguably stronger than a 3-5-2 than because you've got two up front in that system. This system, the wide forwards can naturally drop back and you've got a 5-4-1, which is very, very hard to break down. Um, you can create overloads, of course, in the final third when you're attacking, because what happens, Steve, when you attack uh, in possession is if you've got wide forwards here and if the wing backs are, are strong enough to get forward, then what you end up with, Steve, is overloads. And that's what football's all about, really, creating 2v1 situations, creating overloads. And what you can do here with the wide forwards, they can link with the, you know, with the wing backs. And, of course, that creates, you can have an overload. If you've got a four-man midfield, if you've got a four-man defence here defending, you know, where does the left back go? Does he press the wing back or does he press the wide forward? You can get in behind, you can create those overloads and then you've got the central striker who can get in the box and get in the end of any crosses. So it's very, very hard for a team in a 4-4-2 to choose where to defend. So you've got to be very, very clever in, in that situation. Um, but there are some weaknesses, aren't there, in, in a 3-4-3 Steve as well. I mean, Let's shift away from maybe Degafors and, and and move um move to a different team, but uh, what are your what are your th feelings in terms of weaknesses of a three four three? Or three can leave you in a position. Just say you've lost the ball. You're going to be in a position like this, where you've probably got one inside. Say the the opposition are coming at you here there's a massive massive pressure on these two centre midfielders if you're playing against say a 4-3-3 or a system where there's a lot of central players 
you can get overrun overrun in this area. Yes, then you've got your back line of three, but this is a problem. Whilst these what uh, wing backs or wide midfielders or whatever role you want to call them get back into gear because they can often be caught out. So I think in this system, this is a very important part of the field. And it's a definite weakness if you get caught out. Um, before I forget, actually, I just want to talk about strength of the system we're not even talked about yet. The ability to actually have three centre-backs on the field can massively help you from a set-piece situation, both in terms of defence and attack. Um, so if you've got, you know, if you're a corner sort of team, you've got a good delivery, you can pump these three centre-backs up. That is a massive, massive help, you know. So, yeah, there's, there's, I think there's a lot of strengths and a lot of weaknesses. Um, I mean, this is, uh, I'm using Sirius as an example here. Sirius tend to um, have a slight variation on this system. Um, it's almost sort of a box-like way. They're very narrow. These two players become genuine A-mids. Um, and you can actually have a system where they almost go five at the back. Sort of five two two one almost with Sirius. So this is like a an unusual variation of of the of the the system where you got three at the back. Um, but I mean, let's talk about some of the teams that are using um, three four threes and I know Dega for an example. What about Norling's uh, system at Norshipping there? Because that's quite well known, isn't it? Yeah, Rickard Norling is, is is generally quite tactically fluid and flexible, and you know he's played in like this sort of formation you know, with AIK. It was quite a defensive formation. This Norshopping side looks as if it's going to try and be a little bit more progressive, uh, Steve. So let's just quickly look at this formation from uh, from uh, Norshopping in the opening games of the season. Now the the personnel changes at times, of course. Some it's not been the exact team for every single game, but um, this has pretty much been the three four three so far for um, Norling. Now you've got uh, Aguardius who kind of is a, a left-sided kind of centre-back or left-back really. Uh, he's out here. You talked about you need strong centre midfielders now. I think that's one of the advantages of this system. Franson and Bergman and Hansen are extremely good in centre midfield. I think they're two of the best maybe in Osvenskan arguably in central midfield spaces. Um, now you've these positions are mixed up a little bit, but Skulason and Abdul Razak have come in um, at times. Jonathan Levy, Haksabanovic, and then obviously you've got Adik Benro. These formations, these positions have changed at times, and, and, and there has been other personnel. But, you know, these have been some of the main players in this team. So it allows you to, as I say, have strong midfielders who can get on the ball. They can break the lines of play. You know, they can come back and receive the ball deep. And they can also play passes in, in, in these half spaces, play passes in behind team's defence, play passes through the middle maybe, through the centre-backs and of course you've got the central striker kick on the end of it Haksabanovic is extremely talented going forward, Levi as well has a lot to offer in forward areas so the flexibility of this 3-4-3 Steve, is it allows you to be quite attacking whilst also having that defensive shape um, if you look at some of the overloads it creates and, and we talked about that a bit earlier you know, the, the centre-mids generally retain some depth but they, they can also support build-up play they can drop deeper if needed you know, they can receive on a half turn, which is what Bergman, Hansen and Franson are good at doing. They're good at receiving on a half turn, breaking the lines. Um, the wingbacks can operate quite high. You know, in this situation, um, you know, North Shopping have players who can get quite high at the pitch. Um, and we can look at other teams as well as an example of that, Degafors, which we'll look at in part two. Um, so, you know, it really does allow you to do that. And then in the attacking phase, 
this system allows you to sort of operate with, you know, players in these sort of areas, you know, number nine, you know, wide areas. And um, it, it really does create many different overloads for, for teams. And I think that's one of the, the, the main strengths of it. It makes it hard for opponents to um, really deal with at times, doesn't it, Steve? And uh, if we look at it, you know, just to wrap up before we go into part two, you know, we've got so many different teams playing this formations now. May, may I'll be more of a 3-5-2 we've seen, Steve. We've seen Kalmar playing a 3-4-3 with Henrik Riedström. Yeah, of course, more of a 3-5-2, which we'll talk about in the next part, uh, in parts to come. Degafors, more of a 3-4-3. Norshopping kind of mixing a 3-4-3 at times as well. Verberg boys are kind of going for a, maybe a bit more of a defensive 5-3-2 um, or 3-5-2 hybrid. Even Halmstad, Steve, in the last game, they switched their formation against Norshopping to uh, a back five. Um, you've mentioned Sirius there, who have that kind of box midfield with four, almost two number 10s, uh, or four central midfielders kind of in a box. And then Ostersund's in that sort of defensive 5-4-1 slash 5-3-2 formation. So we are really seeing a massive trend in Osvenskin at this moment in time. And I'm wondering if this is something that we're going to see maybe in other leagues, maybe in the Elite Assyrian. Uh, will, it, will, it, will it apply? Will it be widely adopted? Where's it come from? I'm not entirely sure. If you've got theories, if you're a fan of Osvenskin, please let us know if you've got any theories as to why so many teams are starting to play this formation. Will it be here to stay? Um, it's really quite fascinating, isn't it, Steve? And I think in part two, which will, will come up shortly, we're going to briefly talk about the 3-4-3, um, 3-5-2 when they meet a more traditional formation and maybe some of the weaknesses when playing against a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1, aren't we, Steve? Yeah, stay tuned for part two. We're just going to see you know, how you can take down these systems because we're kind of bigging them up a bit, bigging them up a bit aren't we? But they, they do have their problems uh, as well. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, stay tuned for that. Welcome to part two of this special episode of the Nordic Football Podcast as we delve deep into the tactical breakdown of Svenskan so far this season. We've had three rounds, enough time for us to get our teeth stuck in, sunk into this uh, season so far. And the big trend we've discovered, as we've mentioned in part one, is the rise of 3-4-3 and 3-5-2 in Osvenskan. Um So we are looking at tactical theories in this podcast. Now, we talked about the strengths of this 3-4-3. Um, or a 3-5-2, um, you know, as we say, 56% of teams in Osvenskan going to playing it at this moment in time, the majority of the league. Um, but there are also some, you know, challenges. And one of the predominant, uh, dominant really, form formations in European football over the past 10, 15 years has been the 4-2-3-1 or the 4-4-2 uh, or the 4-3-3, hasn't it, Steve? And... Um, this game that we've picked out now, which you're going to introduce, Steve, was a, was a good example of when a when a three four three meets a four four two uh, or a four man defensive formation, and, and and sort of the challenges that um, it can face, and maybe why it's not so mainstream in other European leagues. Yeah, this is Aik against Degerfor. Aik won the game two goals to nil, deserved a victory, and this, the problem. I'm going to talk about the problem from a defensive point of view first because we've got I'm just showing now the average positions uh, for the players in this system so we've got 4-4-2 against a 3-4-3 as you can see IAK there 
is pretty is pretty standard actually uh, for a four four two. That you could say certainly the wingers are quite high. In the case of Illatupa, for example, his average position was the highest out of anyone in the team. Um, but in terms of the, the the matches in the middle of the park, you got Larson and Hussein, who quite simply in this game were better than what Degafor's midfielders were about. They just were better, and if they needed to, Ik could actually bring Stefanelli back into sort of more uh, attacking midfield, top side of midfield anyway, make it sort of a a uh, centre sort of midfield duo really, um, but uh, yeah, I'm just going to show you the the formation now of uh, IAK and um, yeah, right, okay, it's the IAK formation. So standard four four two, um, but sometimes Stefanelli was sort of drifting here, um, almost like a shadow striker, but coming back in. So basically, it made it was an overloading midfield. Remember, Degafor using a three four three. They don't have a D mid. As such, they just played basically playing with two centre midfielders. So they had a big problem with the overloading midfield, and then they've got Radulovic. Who, to be fair, he had a quiet game, but he was kind of keeping a lot of their centre backs occupied with his movements and his sort of physique. And then you've got the wide players, Ilatupa and Bahawi, who just ran riot at times against a three-man defence. You basically got the three centre backs that are occupied with with these guys. You've got two centre midfielders who are completely dominant against their counterparts. And then you've got these wide guys who... And then, with ably supported by the fullbacks, I might add. And you end up with a position where you just get an overload sometimes going forward. So, like, if a left-hand side cross is coming in, you've got your two strikers there, you've got your right winger in there for a finish, and you've even got your fullback sort of support upfield so what I'm actually going to do now I'm going to go into the match itself for some clips we're starting here in the well the very first minute one minute and five seconds on the board and Degafors are just attempting to sort of clear the ball pass the ball away from this position now one of the problems with using a 3-4-3 system for me I'm going to talk about this later as well when we do IFK against Degafor is I think you've got to have better players for this system because it can leave you exposed with the wrong sort of thing. I've watched Leeds United before play 3-4-3 and uh, I've seen us give, a, give, a, give the ball away in this position too often and it does leave you very exposed. And Degafor, what they're trying to do here, remember Degafor's style in this game, they had 54% of the ball. So they have been looking to pass... Um, they're not just trying to hoof it long sort of thing which might be a mistake as we're going to see in this clip now the, the the best what this defender should be doing here now he should be trying to get rid of the ball get it downfield because they're in a position they're outnumbered they're swarmed if he gives the ball away in a dangerous position here they're in trouble and we're going to see what happens now it's kind of a nothing clearance it's, it's actually a pass and they're down they're in huge trouble because with the 3-4-3 system you've got basically not enough cover out wide you've just got the three center backs the two midfielders are almost bypassed already they've kind of they've it's caught them out and AK uh, probably should score from this move they don't they get away with it the goalkeeper straight the goalkeeper but that that's a that's a problem what I'd call centrally in this in this 343 uh, formation you can have problems 
Um, if you've not got the right sort of players on the ball, if you haven't got the right sort of midfielders to, to, to retrieve the ball either. This now is a problem that they had throughout the game. This is when you have problems against um, a, a, a flat back four or a system that's got good wide players facing a 3-4-3. And ultimately, they don't heed the warning from this because they can see two goals like this in a minute. Now, this is a fairly... I'm not saying it's a tame position. It's in almost a, it's quite a normal situation that an offensive team will find itself in. They've got someone looking across the ball in. You've got some runners coming in here, and a lot of the time, I think the defending team would back itself to to get this one away and not concede a goal or, or, or concede a big chance from it. Now, in fairness, at this point in time, Degafor are not that badly positioned. However, this what I'm what I'm focused on here. This is the right sort of wing back. Or right midfielder, you've got your three centre backs in a line here. Then there you've got the left wing back. And for me, he's actually not in a bad position there. But he's only just got back into into his spot. So and then he, unfortunately the midfielders are still tracking back. They're not in a great position. Against good quality opposition, like I've got some good players here off the ball. You might find yourself in trouble. You bait, effectively yourself. You, you end up with like a two versus three in this position, and then a one versus one at the back post. Now that for me creates danger. Because none of these midfielders are chipping in. There's no defensive midfielder in this system. The cross comes in, and basically the defenders lose this man here, and he, he probably should score. They're lucky to get away with that AK. That's a combination of the system, but also sort of matching up to the opposition is not very good. This is a clip. This is about. This is one of the few chances that Degafor actually had in this game. This is offensively, and they end, end up with a chance and a save from this. But I'm actually going to consider it a negative of the system if you if the players aren't in the right roles. Now, they actually get a decent ball through here. Now, that is the number nine. That is the striker Bertelson. Now he is playing. I don't know why he's playing so deep in this particular system. There is a lot of pressure, by the way, on the on the lone striker in this 3-4-3 system. He's got to be really good in all aspects, but I'd, quite why he came so deep here, I'm not sure. Again, it might be because there's a lack of central options. They don't have like a number 10 in this system. Uh, they don't even have necessarily a midfielder that would necessarily drive into the box. So he's maybe he's forced into this position because of the lack of other options. This is actually a very nice pass. It's played out wide, but at this point in time, the 3-4-3 is limited. The strikers had to drop too deep. We've got now, this is what can happen with 3-4-3. You get the right wing back and the right sided attacker. They can, for me, they, they can just become two in, the, in each other's way, if you know what I mean. I feel like this happens too often, and some might consider it a positive that you get like an overload of players. But it's like they're, they're almost in each other's faces too much. They're, they're at each other's throats, perhaps. When I would... <sighs> It doesn't give you enough of an option. There's not enough option central here. For me, Edvar I think this is Edvarsson. Um, he should have been looking at a run into this area here. Sort of in, certainly on, on the back of this number four. Looking to, to make that run. Because they've got nothing here to worry about. This midfielder, he's not driving in to the box enough at this point in time. And the strike is far too deep. Now, actually, this left wing back does pretty well to get a shot away as we see but it has to shoot here really because Advarsen's done his absolute best to try and get in the box 
he's too late he can't pull that across now because it's just not going to reach him there's just not enough other options available to to this left wing back if there was another body in the middle it'd be different but i feel like advarsen's almost just too late getting into this position the striker's gone walkabout none of the midfield the central midfielders are making the run so you know he does well here to get the shot away and the save but for me that's a limitation of the 3-4-3 offensively sometimes you can just get players in the wrong positions and there's just too much of a gap they're too far apart with certain other areas um, now this is um, another chance that they give away um, on this uh, next highlight this is similar to the first highlight look when you give the ball away in this danger spot here you know before the halfway line before the centre circle you are going to be exposed in a 3-4-3 because more than more likely than not you're going to have like a wing back advanced up here you might even have another wing back the other side advanced the two midfielders are often constantly looking behind their shoulders a bit when when they give the ball away it's sloppy don't get me wrong it's a sloppy giveaway if you're trying to play the wrong type of football the wrong type of players you're in trouble again they get away with it here um because the header goes straight at the, at the goalkeeper there's no way he the defect that's poor marking as well by the way but the warning signs are there for Degafor in this game and then we go to the goal and the goal is uh, let me just re get up to the goal now it's um this is the this is the situation for the goal as we just go on that was a penalty appeal that Degafor had in this game um they did have a little bit of success on the left hand side this is the goal this, this is remarkably similar to the second clip i gave you except this time they're not as well positioned defensively it's very similar they've got these three defenders these three center backs against these two attackers and then aiko actually got up a, a runner here from midfield has got into a bit of a nifty position and on the right hand side the left wing back from the 3-4-3 system of Degger Fours, he's out of position. He can't get back in time. It's not a left. It's not a left back. It's not even sort of a, a left wing back. He's he's too high up to get back. And the thing is, they've had chance to get back in here. It's not like they've just suddenly given the ball away. And you can get into a position where they're just out. You're relying on one-on-one -on -one matchups effectively in this position here. It's three versus three in theory, and then well, four versus four if you consider the back post. But he's already lost his man, so it's not even a matchup. And does he get back in time? No, he's still uh, just jogging here. He should be uh, busting the gut to get back. But even so, the cross comes in, and what happens with the two for the right winger? Has already got free. He's been free for a while, and he manages to get the finish into the back of the net. Job done for Acor, and that's the system. I showed you before that that front bank of four attackers, supported by wing backs. Sorry, by full backs. In the in the four four two system, and that caught Degger four out. And the second goal for them was another problem. As we just move now towards that second goal. <clears throat> this is the second goal now. Now it's uh, a little bit unlucky here. There's a like a tackle. But already there's a problem now bear in mind they are one nil down so they might have been chasing the game we'll let them off perhaps a little bit but it's only the 64th minute it's not like they should be going gung-ho for leather or anything like that but we've got this situation in the middle the defense is all out of shape this time it's the right wing back who's nowhere to be seen at all and you've got so much space with these two already 
Um, the defence just all over the gaff. It should have had time to get back in. Even now, they've got problems. Why, quite why they're in this spot, I don't know. This might be like some personal individual mistakes, perhaps, here in decision-making. But, again, there's always going to be this massive gap at the back post. You know, I talked about that front four of attackers that get in, in there. There you go. You've got the right winger. You've got your two strikers here, and then you've got your left winger in that position. It's always going to be that bank of four are going to have trouble. They're going to give trouble to a back three... And then they're going to control to a back three, a wing back trying to block it, and then another wing back is never going to be in sight. And this is where the 3 4 3 has big problems. Easy goal for Bahawi there at the back post. And that really, for me, sums up a lot of the problems that you can have in this system. Um, and hopefully, be a replay here just to, to put it in, 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 into perspective. When you are defending it's 4-4-2, especially, or 4-3-3, you are going to have this front bank of attackers who are going to give you trouble. And it's because the wing-backs are higher in the 3-4-3, and you don't have the midfield cover depth either. So there's some highlights, there's some examples from this match, some clips, where the 3-4-3 does have problems defending against uh, a 4-4-2 system. So what I'm going to do now, I'm just going to go back to the AIK formation and discuss how uh, Degafors had problems sort of breaking it down, more problems against the defensive aspect of a 4-4-2. Um, it can be quite hard to impregnate. That sounds a bit rude actually, didn't it? But um... I mean, you've got an overload there in terms of the positionally. You've got a four against a three. See, if Degafors are trying to break this down now, say Degafors are in possession... They don't really have a natural sort of advantage in this in this part of the field because the back four of AA core is really solid. They can basically get two banks of four, and then you know Stefanelli actually, to be fair, got chipped in. He's sort of tracking back sometimes in this area, just hustling a bit. And um, you know, from an offensive point of view, it suddenly becomes quite hard to break down unless you've got the type of player. If you've got quality individual players. You know, you can break down any system. So I think that is that is a plus point of 3-4-3. But against most sort of mere mortal teams and systems, I actually think 4-4-2 or 4-3-3 is quite a good matchup for 3-4-3 myself. If I was trying to counteract it, I would be looking... I, I, wouldn't, I would probably be looking more 4-3-3-ish, to be honest, like this, if it was me. But a 4-4-2 is equally effective. I just feel like if you can really swarm that middle of the park you've got a solid bank back back four and um you take it from there really um but i feel like this is a good a good system to use against three four three however there's examples we're going to look now in part three where the three four three can actually employ be employed very well but in this particular instance against iak didn't work you can see why iak got the 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 advantages in the system and it just didn't quite come off a day before yeah, you've got different overloads in, in a four four two system, and the, the two banks of four <clears throat> probably do help it, don't they? And and of course, when you play a four two three one as well as we saw, I mean, Hacken found trouble playing that four two three one against Sirius's sort of three four two one. So it does all it does raise all kinds of question marks, doesn't it? And uh, you know, teams in offense can some of the teams that are struggling, but then you've got, of course, top of the table is is currently um, 
currently Uruguayan who are, who are not playing a you know three four three or three five two. So it really does raise a lot of question marks. I think in part three, what we'll do, I'm going to focus on the game of the week. That was EF Core Jotterberg uh, against Degafors, a massive game, uh, and it was a bit of a shock defeat really for EF Core against newly promoted Degafors. And this was a classic example of a 3-5-2 against a 3-4-3. And where you've seen here, Steve has pointed out some weaknesses of that formation. What we'll look at is when these two formations clash, because if nine teams are playing it in the fence game, we're going to face a lot more of these kind of clashes in, in the weeks to come. And it could be the determining factor for this early part of the season, really, who can create um, better systems of the 3-4-3 or the 3-5-2. So we can part three. We will switch from looking at the um, three-five-two against the three against the four-four-man defence, and we'll switch to looking at when the two teams collide. So there was a very interesting case of a uh, clash of these sort of formations recently. It was IFK Gothenburg against Degafor. It ended in a 3-2 victory for Degafor, their first victory of the season. And um, basically, the way we're depicting this is we've got a 3-5-2 of IFK against the 3-4-3 of Degafor. It changes when you're in and out of possession, Jonathan. Um, let's start off with the IFK system and, and you've got it there right now we can we can see it on screen um take us through how ifk worked in this game yeah so you know welcome to part three and this is the this is the crux of the debate really is it better to play as a three five two or is it better to play a three four three we've seen every team in osvenska we've seen 56 percent of osvenskan playing in these new formations some of them mixing it up with a three four three some are mixing it up with a five three two this game really is an embodiment. It captures what we're talking about here and the, the dilemmas of playing against each other. So really, this was a great example, this match, because it showed us two teams playing sort of slightly different formations and it shows us the strengths and the weaknesses of both formations. So this was a really great case study on Monday night. Big game, EF Court home to Degafors. So as you can see here, Steve, we've got the, you know, EF Court in a kind of a 3-5-2. You could call it a 5-3-2 if you want. You've got your wing-backs here, uh, Aish and Jallo. You've got your back three, Eriksson, Biasmir and Tolinson. Keeper, obviously. And then you've got Erling Marcus, centre midfield. You've got Yusuf, Hamzik, and then you've got Sigtorsen and Sun up front. Now, this the key to this, obviously, you know, we talked about it in part one. The key to a sort of a good 3-5-2, you know, the strengths are, you know, it's, it's quite solid structurally. You know, you've got good passing angles here. You know, for example, Jallo, he's got triangles he can pass to. Ericsson can pass it out wide. He can pass it in field. He's got support. LA Mark can drop to receive possession. Hamzik can drop if he needs to. Yusuf can drop if he needs to. Um, you know, so you've got good support. You know, then when you're playing through the lines, Hamzik's got a lot of space here. He can drift. Yusuf can drift. These two forwards can drop deeper. Sana, who's not really an out-and-out -out striker, he's someone who can drop deep into number 10 positions, maybe go out wide if he needs. Uh, so structurally, it's quite good. You've got the extra man in midfield, Steve. So if you compare this to a 3-4-3, which I will do in a second, you will see that, you know, in a 3-4-3 formation, you've got two-man midfield, whereas EF Core outnumber Degafors with a three-man midfield, um, which that allows a bit more space. And you've also got an extra man in attack. 
because you can have two out and out strikers here in silence it's awesome or you can have you know you've got two bodies up there rather than one in a three four three of course in a three four three you've got wide players but they're a little bit further disconnected than sort of these two up front and you've also got that sort of solid structure to build through central areas if you look at it really if you look at the spine of this team steve you've got a three and a three and a two which is quite different to to a three four three so you've got you've got that kind of solid spine and you've also got extra support for the centre-backs because when the wing-backs are in defensive situations, they can pull in and they can form that 5-3-2 formation. So that was how EF Core set up. Now, let's look at Degafors uh, by contrast. Now, with Degafors, they've got a 3-4-3 formation. And we've talked about this in part, part one, Steve. We talked about the differences um, in terms of the structure. Now the structure in this kind of th this setup is obviously we talked about the strengths of it. It is again structurally quite good. You've got good passing angles. You know, Crouch as the two kind of wide players, wing backs, and Ayaz. Uh, you've got three man defence, so they've got the same similar passing lanes. You've got two in the field, Gravius and Carlin, and then you've obviously got the wide forwards and the striker. So you don't have the same structural dominance in the spine because you've got a three and a two and a kind of a one unless you know these two wide forwards tuck in so if they don't tuck in and they play more wide then you've got a lone striker so you don't have that two strikers you've got a lone striker so you need a really strong powerful striker who can hold the ball up someone who can you know do the job on his own if need be uh, you've got one less man in midfield and this is going to be a key talking point as we discuss this game so you've got Gravius and Carlin against Yusuf uh, Ailing Mark and Hamzik and then obviously you've got the three in the back as well. But uh, so you've got extra, you've got the good defensive support for the centre backs, but you do lack, you know, you can be overloaded in that midfield situation. And also, you've got no number ten here. Whereas as a five-three-two with EF Core, Sana, as I mentioned earlier, he can drop deeper. With this situation, you've got two wide, you've got two sets of wide players because you've got Kraus and Ayaz as the wing, wing backs, but you've also got wide forwards. So really, Steve, you either need one of these two wide forwards as someone who can invert and maybe play more centrally, but then you've got obviously a gap and an overload, or you're going to need a very, very strong, maybe two number tens where you play a bit more narrow. Um, so that's maybe an, an alternative, but then again, you know, it's still structurally a little bit different, isn't it? So um, you do need very good midfielders uh, as well, because you need, you've got one less midfielder. You need two midfielders who can really run and do well, or, Alternatively, you need to have one of these two, Edwards and, and Abraham, maybe as more of a midfield mind, midfield minded to drop deep. So as you can see, it's probably is a little bit less balanced than the three-five-two, but it does offer opportunities in when you're going forward, because when you're playing that three-five-two formation, there's a lot of space here in these wide areas. And if you look back to the EF core formation, uh, they have. A very very sort of uh, central forwards compared to compared to Degafors, so there's a little bit more tactical flexibility here because you're not always relying on these wide players here, the wing backs, to do all your width. You've actually got men who can play wide as natural wide players, which allows these two to drop deeper if needs be. So this played out in the game, and if we look at it, and I'm just going to run through a few little. Um, tidbits. You know, we do have clips to I demonstrate. Just, just before that, I'm actually going to show 
the average positions. But it's all well, you know, formations go down on paper. But this is taken from Y Scout. This is uh, now what you're going to see on screen is the average uh, positions of the players on the field. Um, I don't know. I think you can hopefully uh, have access to this now, Jonathan, as well. But uh, what really struck me here was how narrow IFK actually were. I mean, incredibly, their highest um, position player upfield was the number eight, Aish, the, the right wing back. He effectively played as a right winger, but apart from him, and occasionally the number two as well, I think he's one of the centre backs. This was incredibly narrow from IFK. It's like all the midfielders seem on top of each other, everyone is so congested centrally. Now, whether this actually became a problem for them during the game, I think perhaps it's something we we can consider. Whereas we look at Degger four, and it was it was certainly the three four three played more true to how it comes across on paper. They kind of no one was really where you wouldn't expect them to be. Um, the other thing to consider, by the way, is that the IFK defensive line was much higher than Degger four. Degger four were happy to drop deep. A lot of this was perhaps due to you know the second half they were kind of protecting a lead, so naturally you do drop deep. But it intrigued me that IFK ended up so narrow. Do you think that was by design or just the way the match went? Yeah, it's a good good question, and I think um, I think it was partly by design. I think partly by how the match went, and I think it's partly the kind of weaknesses of a of a three five two, and that's really the key here because you've got. You don't have as many options in wide areas, and that is one of the key weaknesses of this formation. You you rely fully on your wing backs uh, for your you know play. Now they did tend to get down the, the down the wings at times, but it, as you mentioned, it was it was mainly through players like even Tolinson, who you know is a centre back, um, and Ice. And one of the biggest problems I, I felt, Steve, in this in this game really is they were very. Imbalanced. Could we could we switch back to the IFK formation just on the one that you've got there? Yes, I'm going to do that. They're very unbalanced. Yeah, we're just going to go back there. Oh. Yeah, the, the, it's in, in, interested me that the number two, Tolinson, actually, in, in terms of the average position, he kind of was more like right midfield at times. You know, it, and and yet the the guys on the left, um, Jallo, for example, looked more like a, an inverted wing back the way his positioning was. It was, it was very uh, intri intriguing to me. Yeah, in, in that regard. Let's let's look at this. Let's let's break down the game itself and and really some of the keys to the match. Uh, and you know, if we take if we take your your case there, what you're saying about the, the narrowness. Partly it was because they've got the three main midfielders here, and they do have that overload in that central midfield area. Uh, you've got Carlos and Gravian um, for Degafors, and you've got Hamzik, Erling, Mark, Yusuf. So you've got a 3v2. One of the reasons you've got is that Asana tended to drop deeper here in these positions. You know, he, he doesn't play that far wide. Sig Torsen is more of an out-and-out -out striker, so he is your sort of 9-9, nine nine. he is your target man. You've got the wide players here. Now, really, for me, this is what one of the key weaknesses, probably two key weaknesses, I'd say, of EF Core in this current system, Steve. Number one, Jallo down this left-hand side. And we see many, many clips that we can show you. Um, Jallo is not a natural left wing back. 
He's right-footed for number one. There was even an example of where he tried to put in a cross with a with a, a Rabona flick rather than go on his left foot. So that just shows you kind of the square pegs in the round holes that was a bit of a theme of this game. Then you've got Ericsson. Now Ericsson, Steve, has played most of his career in midfield. He's not a natural centre-back by any means. And they use Ericsson to build the play. So really, he comes forward and he did play some nice passes down the width, down the wing, sorry. But he's not a natural left-sided centre-back by any means. He's learning the position. I'd probably say he's tertiary or secondary position there. Certainly not comfortable as, a, as an out-and-out defender. So he sometimes stepped into the, these sort of areas and maybe made it more of a, a midfield. So that, again, provides that, that narrowness. Then, yeah, Bjarsmir, Tolinson. And again, Steve, on the other side, in terms of square pegs, round holes, Hossam Aish. Now, he really is a winger. And that's where he ended up, in his, his average position. And the crazy thing is, Jallo, for example, Jallo actually, end, his average position is inside Ericsson. So Ericsson was actually more wide. Well, exactly, Jeez. and this is the thing, and that really that's the key to this game. That's that's where things have kind of gone wrong for you. Of course, they don't have uh, wing backs who, at this moment in time, are natural wing backs for the positions. So there's a lot of square pegs and round holes. You've got Ice, natural winger, Ericsson, more of a midfielder, Jello, more of probably a right-sided player. Uh, he can play either side, but really, you know, as a left-footed, as a right-footed player, it's it's not a natural position for him. You've got Hamzik as well uh, coming deeper. And you've got Sana looking to go wide here. So a lot of imbalance in terms of where players want to actually be playing. Now, if we look at it uh, from, yeah, of course, point of view, it's a very unbalanced, as I say, formation. So the other side of it, Steve, is the lack of pressing, the lack of consistent pressing in forward areas uh, from the two in attack, Sana and Sig Torsen. Now, this is a, there's a great example of this um, in the game in the ninth minute. Um, this is when one of the three centre-backs... I'm just going to switch the screen again quickly. You probably have seen this even in the ninth minute. Olsen came forward and he has so much space and time. He's not pressed whatsoever. He gets to about here and he pings a 30-yard shot onto the crossbar. Absolutely rasping shot in the ninth minute. Yeah, incredible. Um, yeah, no pressure at all on the, uh, from Sana. And if we actually go to the average position here and we look at it, you'll see... Let's look at this clip. I mean, Olsen's average position is pretty much where he, you would expect him to be overall, um, but which is good, I think, for Degaforce. And it's the same with quite a few of their players. You would, they're, they're kind of where you expect them to be. Um, 100%. It was more like IFK kind of lost their discipline. Look at this clip, Steve. This is the clip. You've got Sana here. You've got Sig Torsen there, not pressing whatsoever. This is a centre-back in Degaforce's 3-4-3 system. He's come all the way. The back three, the, the midfield three are backing off. You've got Yusuf here, you've got Erling Mark there, you've got yeah. Tamzik there, you've got the five at the back, and as I say, he 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 comes forward here, and he literally has no. Sana here should be pressing him as as a minimal. Yusuf potentially as well uh, doesn't do it. They don't do it. I don't like how there's a lack of pressing. At the same time, though, I'm going to tell him shoot all day from there. I mean, that's a one in a million almost, isn't it? Scoring from there. But I suppose you can get deflections and things, can't you, as well? But It's a very good point. It's a very good point, Steve. But the why I draw your attention to it is because it was a constant theme of this game. Now, Olsen, fine. That's that's okay. 
you don't mind if if that if he's coming forward like that. But what we had is you've got an overload here, but you we had the um, the, the midfield three of EF Core really not pressing well enough, and and the forwards as well not pressing well enough. So this led to a situation where um, what we've got is. When you in a three-four-three, so let's if you can see the screen here, just a picture. Yeah. We've got three defenders of Degaforce here. It's hard to switch between the two the two formations, but yeah. you've got the three here, you've got the four here, and you've got the three here. Now, those are your defenders. Those are your midfielders. These are your forwards. When the wide players Ayaz and Kraj for Degaforce have the ball, Hamzik needs to press here in the wide areas. Yusuf when the ball's on the other side, needs to press in these wide areas. If they don't press in those areas, then there's big trouble because they have two wide players uh, in these situations that can come and cause problems. They've got not only um, the, the forwards, you know, in that 3-4-3 formation. So in this case, obviously, it's, um, you know, you've got the forwards who, who, who had some luck. Bertelsen, of course, up, up front are Abraham and Edvardsson. You know, on as a three, but you've also got Ayaz out wide, and you've also got Crouch. So if these midfielders don't press or come back and help, then they're in big trouble. And this is something that didn't happen enough. Now it's a bit surprising because how you know, Hamzik you can maybe understand he's a little bit out of shape. He's not in the greatest fitness, but Yusuf is a very fit, energetic midfielder, and he didn't tend to do it enough in this game. And I wonder if it's maybe just because they're learning the positions and not quite sure of it. You know, early Mark was the holding midfielder. But I wonder if that's something that they're not quite sure of, because then you've got Aish, he's not a natural defender. So when Yusuf didn't you know, track his man back, there was an overload of two against one on Aish, and there's an overload on Jello as well. And obviously Eriksson, as I said, is not a natural defender. So Hamzik, Yusuf, Sana, and Sitorsen's lack of pressing really does not help in this, in this, in this formation. And, and that is what was one of the key themes to this game. Um, the first goal comes in that situation because they're not pressing and and they allow the space and the time for a goal obviously do you have the first goal clip that we can have a look at here yes let's go to it because what i noticed about this first goal it shouldn't have been conceded forget the goalkeeper for a minute we talked about this problem that ifk have got on the left hand side with jello cutting inside Ericsson seemingly the most wide defender. That was an area which Degelfort for me, they took advantage of that sometimes and they were not positionally ready for the the first goal. They should have stopped the shot getting in basically or him progressing where he did. I thought that was a big problem for this first goal. Yes, he should have saved it. We know that and there was the pigeon incident as well but uh, I think it ended up being a weak part of IFK, both defensively and offensively, on that left-hand side of the field. Well, let's look at it. I mean, this is the this is the clip, and you know what what happens here is that when you don't have that pressing from Sarna Sigtorsen, when it comes to transitions, and you know a key element of these formations, which we talked about in part one, is is transitions. I can't um, see the clip yet. Yeah, let's talk about it because in in these in these clips. Defensive transitions are, are key. Right. So, okay. Right here we go then. 
this yeah. goal. So this is this is the um, this is for the goal. And as I mentioned, as we mentioned in part one, defensive transitions are are a key element to three five twos, three four threes, and EF Core's lack of pressing was something that happened a lot in transitions. You know, as I mentioned, Sana ball watching. So in this situation here, EF Core, their ultimate midfielders Yusuf and Hamzik, they're not active enough when it comes to pressing, uh, and it leads to an overload in the situation. The wing backs are too high, the midfielders are too far forward, and Degafor's first goal comes from this defensive to attacking transition with EF Court exposed. Let's take a look. See, you've got Hamzik and Yusuf here. Simple run, and they're out of the game. You've got Ayaz here out wide. He's all alone, isn't he? Like, there's no one. There's near. no one here at all. That's the so problem. You've got Jello here. Hamzik here, there's no pressing on the outer, outer player on that 3-4-3. This is the, uh, in, the wide forward, number 10. Abraham, this is Bertelsen. So they've allowed, they've allowed them to break through in the transition. You've got your three midfielders here in that 5-3-2. They should be, they are outnumbering. You know, this is an overload that they have, but they're not making, taking advantage of it because they, they're not pressing in the right areas. Yeah. The two wide players are in acres of space each. The three are not engaging, they're backing off, obviously. And then, you know, the position here is kind of just kind of no man's land, to be honest. The play builds up. Now, where's Hamzik, Steve? Supposed to be on this side here, pressing potentially. Jallo hasn't spotted his man at all. Way too inside. Ayaz has had a free run on the pitch. No one spotted him. You've got five, you've got eight players here, Steve. You've got eight EF core players here. And not one of them is picking up the man on the outside. The ball is switched. Again, no central pressing. As I mentioned here, Sana kind of slow to get back. The three in midfield are not doing their job in terms of pre pressing and, and closing down those, those spaces. Again, no real pressing. They're at, that is the first time IFK are actually in a 5-3-2 there. Exactly. Like they finally this, this got back into position. This is something that happened way too often. So when we come to the goal, it comes from a transition, which I'll show you yeah. now. The ball breaks. Any second now. So we've got E, of course, trying to build possession. Ball breaks. It was a good tackle in the first place, to be fair. It's a good tackle, but... Now look, and that's Ed Vardson, I think. Is Ed Vardson had a very good game here, by the way. But look at this, yeah. Hamzik, Jallo, Yusuf, Sana, Erling Mark. All three midfielders were taken out with one pass. Jallo, the wing back. Okay, that's his job in this five-three-two. You've got to, the wing backs have to get up forward. Yeah, I'm not actually blaming Jallo as much here, but then he doesn't get back properly at all, though. He never once gets back, so he's Invisible. either you know not quite right for the role. He was outpaced ultimately, wasn't he? So there you go, and this was something that happened, mm. you know, time after time, really. And you know, ultimately, this is one of the issues with playing the five-three-two in defensive transitions. You're so heavily reliant on your wing backs to go forward that when you need them defensively. You can struggle. Yeah. So, and that is really what was the story of this game. 
Yeah, it certainly was the story of this game. And do, do you do you think it's a case of a sort of Dega Four are more used to their system? Um, they know how to play. They're used to the three-four-three, know, three, whereas IFK is kind of just learning the ropes a bit more. I mean, I'm just going to go to a, to a new uh, another slide here, um, and this is a statistical look at Degafors in the first three games. And I actually think Degafor learned their lesson in this match. They 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 actually play against Aik, and we've talked about this before. Their possession in the game was um, a lot more. Um, than you would expect in that game. 55% possession, actually, against uh, IAK. Um, and against Kalmar, it was about 50-50. They were willing to go drop down 37% of the ball against IFK. It's as if they kind of just knew how to play against them. They, had a, they were counter-attacking well, um, caused problems like that. And it was like AFK were just like rookies and they got really panicked. In this situation, it was, um, it was just a, a prime example of how not to sort of because IFK up. If you go eleven versus eleven, man to man, they are the better players. There's no doubt about that. But they didn't make the most of it, did they? Well, here's my feelings, and this is where we get to the crux of the matter in terms of what what do you prefer, what formation do you prefer? Listeners as well, do let us know what what formation you prefer. I mean, Degafors, when we break it down, out of possession, they drop into a four five two three. This is what they did in the game. Gravius and Carl, Carlin were kind of central midfielders. Kraj and Ayaz dropped. You've got your three at the back. They were quite disciplined. Abraham, Bertelsen and Edvardsen are, are more forward. But really, they're in a structured 5-2-3. And their, their structure was much better out of possession than, than EF course generally, particularly for the first sort of 60 minutes or so. And, and that was the key to the game. Um, you know, EF course didn't take advantage of their, 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 their domination in the, in the midfield spaces. So really, that's that's a team thing. That's a ta that's a team thing. Because tactically, they should have dominated. Um, Degafor's front three were a lot more proactive, I think, in their pressing. They often pressured EFCOR's back three and their wing backs very well. They squeezed the space. They pressured mistakes. They didn't allow them to play through midfield. Abraham and Edvardsson got into, into spaces. Gravius, I thought, was a, a key man. And you know, Gravius in this game, he was the he was the pivot. He was the one who dropped deep, received the play, and broke the lines of of, of uh, EFCOR's pressing. Uh, uh, well, if you can call it pressing, because their pressing wasn't great, but he was the man who would drop deep and create. He would start play, crowd would get up, Ayaz would get up, Gravius would sort of drop deeper, play passes out wide, play passes to Carlin, play passes to Ayaz or to the forwards. And so I think really with Degafors, they're just a little bit better at it at this moment in time. I think they're a little bit more advanced, but I'm not entirely sure, Stephen, as we've seen in other games that they've not won. I'm not entirely sure that 3-4-3 is better than the 3-5-2. I mean, from my point of view, you need a very, very specific skill set to play a three-four-three. And I think as the season goes on, you know, let's see where things go for these players because Abraham and Edvardsson, you need to be very, very good, in my opinion, to carry off a three-four-three for a consistent period of time through a season. Um, you need very, very good tactical understanding from your wide forwards uh, and also your fullbacks, I suppose, as well, um, also your wingbacks. They need to have extremely good tactical understanding. So far. Ayaz and Crowd have been given quite a lot of space in certain games. Will they always get that space? I'm, I'm not too sure. I think other better teams will will close them down. Uh, so I do I do worry about them going forward in terms of how long can they sustain that. Uh, but I do think in, you know this is a system that you need a lot of coaching and a lot of tactical discipline to get right. And Degafors have been trying the system for quite a while now. You, you can't just pull the system off with you know one one or two training sessions. You need to really really work on it. 
by contrast, let's just go back to the, uh, the EF core tactics. Before we wrap this up. So by contrast, a 5-3-2, Steve, or 3-5-2, whatever you want to call it, it's a lot easier to set up. I agree. I because do agree. You don't need as much training. And this is where Ostersons, we talked about Ostersons in part one. This is why I think Ostersons are, are going for this formation and having a lot of success with it. You don't need a great squad, if you know what I mean. You, you know, the squad is a lot weaker. Ostersons' squad is quite weak, but in a 3-5-2, you know, you can, you can kind of get away with it because you're packing, the, you're packing five, cent, five defenders pretty much. Um, in transition, fine. If you want to get forward, they can be your offensive weapons, but you don't need to. If you don't have the ability, if they don't have the ability, they can stay further back, and you can just rely on, you know, the five up front and just see what see what can be done. Basically, um, it's easier to coach. I think it's an easier system to set up. It's more defensively reliable, in my opinion, you know, than the three four three, because you've got that extra man in midfield, and you've got an extra forward. Um, of course, there's le less width. And, and there's more reliance on, you know, good wing backs. You need to 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 be effective and a, and a really really good team. You need really really good wing backs to play the system effectively. If you if you want to be offensively good and really challenge at the top top end, you need really good wing backs. Because if yeah. you don't, as we've seen with EF Core, mm -hmm. your system's going to break I, down. I would say I agree. I think in a five three two, the two most important positions are the wing backs. In a three four three. For me, I, I actually believe in a three-four-three. Three. I've seen, I've watched a lot of my own side, Leeds United, play three-four-three three a lot. The two central midfielders for me are very important. You have got to have quality in that area. Luckily for us, we do have Leeds, say Calvin Phillips. When we don't, when he's not available, you, it's like night and day. You can notice a massive difference because there's a massive pressure load on them two central midfielders in the three-four-three. Three. If they're not very good, forget it. Because you'll get overrun against good quality, so I I think the five three two is overall a much better system. It can suit most squads. There's more stability. Three four three with the right players can be unbelievable. However, there's a lot more of a risky side to it. That's that is how I would sum it up personally. If you have very 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 good players in your three four three shape, and you have a lot of time to coach, and you've got a very good tactical understanding, as you've just mentioned, they were leads. If you've got those players in those midfield areas that can that can do the job, you can probably get away with it. If you can't, then you know I think a five through two is better, and I think that's why you see it used more often. You don't see as many three four threes in Osvaldo at this moment in time. I think I think most teams have gone with a three five two when they've changed the system. Obviously, we mentioned North Shopping a little bit as well. We talked about them. Uh, you know, don't forget as well with a three five two, you've got two forwards. Now you can play as a ten as well. You can make, maybe play, make it a five four one. It's a little bit more tactically versatile. If you need to, or you can play two out and out strikers. Depends how you want to play it. In the three-four-three, it's a lot more technically specific. You need players who can play particular, you know, um, roles, and they have to be very, very good. And I think that's probably where we may see Degerfors come unstuck as the season goes along, because can they really execute that for a long period of time with those midfielders? Uh, will they get the time? You know, we mentioned against AIK. We've mentioned the weaknesses of that. You know, can they can they get that period of that, that long period of time to gel? I'm not entirely sure. So, what's your favourite formation, Stephen? To wrap it up. Um, for me personally, um, it's out of these two five three two is definitely the way forward. Uh, if I, if I was to go about it myself, I think it gives a lot more balance. Um, I just for me the three four three. 
it can get confusing if the players don't know what the roles are. I have a problem with three four three being that the the two wide players, the, the what you want to call it, sort of the wing backs, can get mixed up with potentially wingers if they're not, and you get you get too much of a cluster in that area of the field. And like I said, you can get overpowered in the middle of the park if you don't have. It's all right if you've got someone like Patrick Vieira in there, you know. But if you've got two sort of mere mortals in the centre of midfield, it's a massive ask on them. So I feel like if you have, again, right sort of players, 3-4-3 three, three can work incredibly well. But overall, I would be looking. And I do like 5-3-2 or 3-5-2 is one of my favourite formations in football. So that that's what I would go with. Definitely that. What about yourself? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it depends how you execute it. You can play a 3-4-3 three, three diamond. I think Johan Cruyff has played that in the past and others, but you've got to be extremely, extremely good. You need two, in my opinion, you need two incredible midfielders. I thought Gravius was outstanding against the F-Core, and I think that was partly why, uh, for the time, you know, especially in the first half, that was why these two really outplayed Hellingmark, Hamzik, and Yusuf, which was quite surprising. You need two outstanding midfielders to really sustain a title challenge in this in this system. You need three centre-backs who can really do a good job. You need someone who can press and go into the midfield if needed. So they've got to be extremely good. You need two extremely good wing-backs. Um, not maybe as good as in a 5-3-2 because they're, that's your only source of width, as I've mentioned. But they still need to be very, very disciplined to understand when to drop, when to play forward, uh, which is a tough, tough ask, really. It's not that simple. Uh, but really, I think the key is the creativity when you come to the 3-4-3 because you've got to get the balance between these two here correct you've got to get that balance right when does when does Edvardson come inside for example when does Kraus go outside they've got to make sure that they're, they're connected at all times and have a good understanding and I think it's a little bit harder to um, you know to create much with these two because if they're out wide they can get maybe left out of the game if they come inside they can create kind of like a lot of space out wide for, for teams to attack into so there's a lot of responsibility on these and there's also a lot of responsibility on your forward because he's probably going to be a lone forward. He may not get the service from the, the two wide forwards. And if you look at a 5-3-2, which is what Conte sort of plays in, you know, he's had huge success, Antonio Conte, in, in this situation. Um, you know, he's fi figured out a way of allowing teams to sort of press higher. He's got that midfield man-marking system. He's got the blend right in terms of the pivot and the, and the block. Uh, he knows how to defend the zonally. So all in all, Steve, I, I think I'd probably lean towards a 3-5-2. But what I would say is if you can get the 3-4-3 right, you've got a very, very good football team to watch. Mm. And, you know, if I was an expert manager with a great sort of backing behind me, I do think there's a lot of options in this team that can make a very exciting team. But all in all, I'd probably say the reason that EF Core lost this game is because they just weren't, they weren't tactically as well drilled and disciplined in that 5-3-2 as what was quite a fluid, well-drilled, disciplined Dagger falls on the day. Well, that was a very good discussion indeed. That uh, ends uh, part number three. Um, so, yeah, we'd appreciate any feedback here from that. Uh, tell us what you thought of the game. Tell us what you thought of the tactics. What do you prefer? 5-3-2, 3-4-3. Your, what floats your boat? You know, everything's like that. So, yeah, very good discussion, Jonathan. Uh, very much enjoyed that. All right, well, that is going to be it for this particular episode. Thanks very much for listening or watching whichever version you did. We would be greatly appreciative of any sort of feedback here. We, um, you know, This is kind of our first real go at something like this uh, in detail. I'm sure there was a few teething problems. 
um, probably certain aspects of the production came across maybe a little bit grainy but you know we'll do our best next time that we do this to sort of smarten things up a little bit more but hopefully it came across uh, really well we do appreciate your time and support uh, listening to this remember you can follow us on uh, twitter at nordic footpod and you can follow myself steve wiss at meatman soccer and jonathan for at jf football um thanks very much to our patrons there's not going to be a, a an extra patreon uh, podcast this particular week uh, weekend because we've been so busy with this tactical uh, thing the next episode will be an elite syrian norwegian elite syrian season preview so next week there will not be anything uh, swedish related i don't think it's going to be all eyes on norway again so um yeah uh, again thanks very much really appreciate your time take care stay safe and we'll uh, see you next time Goodbye.